You're listening to the Digital Void Podcast, where we explore digital culture, media, technology, and memes, featuring critical and empowering conversations with experts at the forefront of our digital moment. My name is Josh Chapdelaine, and my co-host is Dr. Jamie Cohen. How can we critically understand artificial intelligence in a moment dominated by fear-based hype cycles? OpenAI CEO Sam Altman recently made headlines when he issued a 22-word statement, warning of extinction due to the threats posed by AI. But what threat is Altman specifically referring to, and what did the CEO omit from his argument? On today's episode, Jamie and I take a critical view of the current AI hype cycle, examine the push for regulation by the most influential tech entrepreneurs, and discuss a general public cynicism about emerging digital technology in direct contrast to visions of a better connected future at the birth of social media platforms roughly 20 years ago. Now, here's today's conversation about how to approach AI hype cycles. OpenAI CEO Sam Altman recently issued a 22-word statement warning about the risk of human extinction due to advances in AI development. The statement reads, Mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority alongside other societal scale risks such as pandemics and nuclear war. It is my pleasure to welcome Jamie Cohen back to the podcast to provide critical framing of Altman's statement, unpack some of the history of AI development and where we're at, and help us understand exactly how we can read into Altman's statement, motivations, and where this moment will actually lead. Jamie, really looking forward to dive into this with you today. Yeah, thanks. Uh, it's funny that you couldn't even read that statement without uh, with a straight face. I, <laughs> I can't either, so it's okay. But it is... Uh, it's a, a bold statement that is almost funny. It's it's comical because just at the forefront, I'd love to bring or call attention to the fact that Sam Altman issued a 22-word statement warning about the risk of human extinction. He invested millions of dollars into a life extension company. And before we dive into any of the nuances or critiques of his particular 22-word statement that is currently earning a bunch of media, the level of cognitive dissonance has to be acknowledged here. Oh, yeah. I think this is a playbook that tech evangelists have really leaned into for, for over a decade at this point, which is create a hype cycle. And so for those who don't know, there's something known as the Gartner hype cycle, which is the same thing for every tech uh, release. And it basically means that there's hype before it's released, and people get expectations because basically the finite is definable, but the infinite is speculative. And so you can speculate as much as you want. So the hype cycle starts and then it gets released. The hype cycle hits its peak and then it wears off. And this is the this also leads to the hedonistic treadmill where we just kind of get used to it. And in this hype cycle, generative AI's advances, both in textual and visual spaces in a very short period of time, have really created this hype cycle that make people interested in using it and make it accessible to people who really in the past had only been able to imagine these types of things. And so products like Midjourney or even Adobe's uh, AI uh, generative fill projects like are neat. Like I'll call them neat. Like they're neat, but they're garbage. They're just straight up garbage because it sucks data sources from wherever they're the, like these data sets that are really predefined 
not creative and are limited by the us, limited by uh, human use behavior. And so I think we're about a decade ahead of where the true AI is going to really be. Uh, it's just, it's funny to see like the creator of OpenAI, Sam Altman, decide to make such a bold statement, knowing full well that he knows full well what it does. So you touched upon a lot of great present day uses. Some of the generative AI tools like Midjourney and Dolly and ChatGPT are common today in the classroom and business and more broadly. There's a lot of fear about the future of employment. We see the Writers Guild on strike. And one of the key issues of the strike is artificial intelligence and the potential use of it in script writing. But Altman's statement is a little bit different. So I'd love to break it down with you because it's 22 words and it's simultaneously incredibly dense, but totally void of any real meaning. So in (laughs) order to unpack this, Jamie, I would love to start with the first sentence of the statement itself, mitigating the risk of extinction from AI. Okay, what exactly is the risk of extinction from AI? Great. Yeah, this this is the thing that I think caught the press's attention. And you got to give Altman credit for this and Musk credit. Uh, they're very good at making these uh, high-level panic platitudes that are like really designed to scare people into it. Mitigating the risk of extinction from AI, right? What is who's who's going extinct? So that's the question. So who is what do we have to mitigate? So let's start with mitigating. Is AI expansive? That would be the first question. Does it create more more AI from being AI? That's what they want us to believe. They're basically saying, oh, the singularity here. It's a mach- basically days before a machine develops a machine that develops a machine and the paperclip problem eats the universe. And the word mitigate is them asking for some help. So mitigation in this case would be, I guess, regulation or somebody stepping in and halting the process of expansion. That being said, it can only expand so far, no matter what. And remember, this hype cycle is happening a year and a half after the crypto hype cycle, using the same processors. All right, so where crypto was using these processors to build and dig and mine these things, those now that crypto's value has basically tanked and it's now under investigation, what are we going to do with all those processors? Well, you repurpose them. Now you have these data sets that need processing to generate anything. So there's still heat being generated from these things. There's still spinning hard drives somewhere. And these things are ha- happening. So it can only expand so far. And we saw that with crypto. So then the, the word extinction is like, who? Who's going extinct? Like, are we? Is this going to paperclip us? Like, are we going to become a resource for a future sentient being? It's, it's an amazingly stupid sentence when you start using it word by word. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so, and I think it actually gets worse as it goes on because it shows a lack of depth and context. So to continue with the sentence and to maybe begin at the beginning. So mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority alongside other societal scale risks, such as pandemics and nuclear war. So Jamie, those are definitely two risks. They're they're real risks. We've lived through one recently, and many people alive lived through the risk of nuclear war during the Cold War. However, there's definitely one societal scale risk that is missing from this equation. The biggest of them, climate change, the actual extinction level event. As as Naomi Klein wrote, the sixth extinction, like we are in it. We're currently in an extinction event. The societal scale risk, so society itself. So then there's this idea of like, what does society mean? And society at this point we know is, has an inequity issue. The inequity of, of humankind is like overwhelming at this point and basically becomes more inequitable every day. 
And people like Altman cannot understand the average worker, cannot understand you or me, cannot understand the average person out there. I do know that there's other AI folk and other tech experts out there who have recently been calling for UBI because they're interested in making sure that when all the jobs are taken by AI, we're going to need some way to keep people from, from not surviving. And then there's people pushing back against those people saying, well, if we give UBI, then no one's going to want to work anyway, because it's a complete fallacy because other countries and sovereign states that have tried UBI, well, they do pretty well with it. So it, it's funny that they're saying that. But I think what I think what's revealing about this that I think is really important is when Altman is asking for this, you got to ask who he's asking. And so he's asking this as a global priority. So he's not just asking the US regulators, he's asking many countries to start figuring this out. In the UK, there was a $100 million invested in Silicon Valley company that was discussing the idea of mitigation of AI. So what that is, is that's tax dollars, your tax dollars, my tax dollars, being filtered and flown into Silicon Valley for these think tanks to rethink how we're going to understand AI. And if you don't think this is true, ask um, about what happened to $2.8 billion of your dollars as it funded SpaceX. All right, because you paid for that. SpaceX is paid for by you. It's it's not private. So this is a playbook that they're very used to. But I think, as you mentioned, the, the big missing thing here is first, let, let's, okay, let's break these two things down. Pandemic. We know we didn't do well with COVID. All right. <laughs> as a country and as a world, we didn't provide the necessary security or monetary funds in order to make everybody feel safe during a global pandemic. We didn't. So there's proof it didn't work. When we punted and continue to punt, and I know that there's still people having red lines show up on their sticks. So it's like, I know that this is still around. Nuclear war is even, you know, there's a guy who keeps nuclear war codes like in his bathroom in Florida. So it doesn't seem like that's something as stressful to them. So it's funny that he uses these two risks. But I think this goes back to the funding because when you're talking to governments and asking them to regulate, you're asking them to the, move some of their finance and funding to them. To figure this out. And climate change is the opposite. Climate change, the reason it's not mentioned here is because you have to defund or degrow climate change. It is an unfundable because what you have to do is reduce this. And climate change as a global risk is actually against AI because AI, the more we expand it, is actually burning more fossil fuels to run the electricity to run the generations. And as we saw with the recent wildfires that are going to increase yearly, Droughts are happening because we've destabilized the environment. So he doesn't want to mention that because by asking to look at societal scale risk, which is society, the inequitable society is going to get worse. If you say climate change, he becomes the target and no one would want to fund him because the, the answer to societal scale risks is to stop doing AI. <laughs> which is really bad for the investors at Microsoft who are hedging their future on an AI-dominated landscape. And I would love to get your insight about the difference in attitude toward our approaches to social media and AI over the last 15 years to help us better understand how we arrived to this moment. It seems to me that 15 to 16 years ago, as Facebook was growing beyond college students, there was a great public relations message about universal connectivity, the potential of the web, and there was a lack of critical nature in the mainstream, largely due to funding and lobbying at, in Silicon Valley by companies like Google and Facebook. And there was a brief moment where it felt like Facebook was immune from any type of serious mainstream cultural criticism. 
Now, fast forward a decade to 2016, and the critics and researchers who had been working hard to sound the alarm for years before, all of a sudden were proved right around the time of the election. And people said, oh, shit, we have to start paying attention to this. We saw the follow-up and the panic about data privacy, security, algorithmic bias. And ultimately, what that led to was the tech clash. So in the tech clash, we had a huge response to the effects of and negative externalities of social media. And we saw Mark Zuckerberg in front of Congress 10 or 11 years for the first time after. And we can contrast that directly with Sam Altman, who was in front of Congress six months after OpenAI started. So whereas the original vision for mainstream social media platforms was overwhelmingly positive and perhaps even somewhat altruistic, now we're seeing the new wave of technology, AI, have a hugely negative approach. Do you think that we are at all responding and the public has conditioned itself too negatively based on the last cycle of tech development to this moment as somewhat of a response? And how can we center ourselves to better understand this moment to say, wait a minute, this isn't actually as much of a threat of it seems? To think about it in that way is clarifying because Altman kind of invited himself into the government, whereas like Zuckerberg was brought to the government to testify because of his bullshit, where Altman was just like, well, if they're going to call me eventually, I may as well just show up. But it's I think you're I think you're right. I think the idea of the audience or the user base being a lot more cynical now, I think it's very apparent. I think we're very well aware of the dangers of most of the technologies that are out there. And this way, tech creators or tech developers or even evangelists, instead of saying, well, we'll see what happens, now already say, oh, well, we know what's going to happen. It's going to take your jobs. It's going to take your writings. It's going to cheat in your classroom. It's going to do this. We need to stop it. And it's like, oh, we better. It's like that that scene in the I think you, I, I think you should leave where he's like, oh, we're all looking for who's trying to do this. And it's it's literally the dude who did it is like, oh, man, you guys got to watch out. The Sam Altman guy is pretty bad. Like, aren't you Sam Altman? And he's like, well, well we got to mitigate the risks. And so it's kind of like there's they they are aware. And this is obviously speculative because you can't prove it. But it's like there's an awareness of the tech industry itself being problematic enough that if if they proactively tell on themselves, they seem more responsible. So they could actually go in and be like, just being aware, look, we developed this, we made this thing happen. However, it has a problem with the future where it's such an easy tool to use that we don't know what can happen next. So therefore, we should just stop it for a bit. And I think like 1,300 people signed this, this letter that was just like, we should stop it. And it was embarrassing to see some of those names on there because they should know better. And you're referring to the AI pause letter. Yes. Yeah, the six-month pause. Do you know what six months does? That just helps them figure out where to move their bank accounts. Like that's all it's doing is aligning where the funds are going to go. It's not like what's going to happen in six months is that's just not how science works. <laughs> you know. So it's it's wild that like some people bought into that, this pause letter and like the idea of like mitigation at large when at one, there's this question that happens, which is I, I don't and to counteract the determinism and fatalism that comes with this, which is like many people are like, well, isn't this inevitable? And it's like, well, then everything's inevitable. You know, all tech will expand. All things will change. All social media will change. It's, it, of course, is inevitability of progress that happens. But when you're talking about tools like generative AI, and we're not talking about AGI, which is artificial general intelligence, which is what we should really be afraid of someday, 
which we have, we're not there yet. We actually need quantum computing to make that happen. Like these are just toys. Uh, generative AI is a neat computer program that's very similar to a child's drawing machine that happens to run itself. And we've had these toys for about a decade now. We've had Alexas and Series in our house, and we've had devices that we could communicate with. Your predictive text and your text message when you're hitting the center bar, that's AI. I mean, that's just simple generative AI. That's all that is. Generative AI that we're talking about is expansive because it doesn't really have limits or walls. You could create nothing from negative. You could take negative space and create or generate things into that negative space. So I get it on one hand. And I get it from the perspective of artists or writers or when people are like, well, write me a script in the style of Wes Anderson, blah, 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 blah. And then go to Eleven Labs and generate some voices. And, and it's all garbage. It's just garbage. And that shouldn't be feared. Like that should be celebrated. But I think Altman's approach to this makes it so we can't use it without having fear, even when it is something that can be very helpful in certain situations. So instead of mitigating the global risk where we're going to go extinct, which still makes no sense, it should be mitigating the risk of limita limiting its data sets, or at least acknowledging that data sets themselves are problematic. The big thing that I, I always remind people is remember when Altman and Musk developed OpenAI in 2016, Altman and Musk developed it. <laughs> Keep that in mind. We now know, just like we knew about Zuckerberg's misbehavior with taking some a little bit too much data sets from other companies, we now know Musk's real intentions in the 2020s. We know he's been this way. He's now mask is off, but he's not really been somebody different. When they developed these things, they already were blind to equal use, data sets that offered low bias levels, data sets that were ethical. Instead, they were well aware that the data sets that exist basically sourced from the open internet. And the open internet, until just a few years ago, was pretty biased to the extent where it was so limited from access to marginalized folk, the global south, queer voices, people of color, black folk. These voices were not actually in the internet. They were there, but most of their technologies were usurped. So when you generate using these things, you're only using the biased internet. So in other words, in 2016, when they should have sounded the alarm, there should have been a point where they said, well, I think we need to look ahead and see how we can make sure that for every piece of data, something exists. And instead of that, so the reason I'm not afraid is because humans, we're humans. <laughs> so it's limited by our human behavior. And so we can't, we can only be, if we're afraid of humans, that's terrible. But like, because it's human data sets, that's, that's what we're limited to. So how would you recommend people respond to the fears if they are approached with this? What do you think is a good strategy for people to try to A, come themselves and B, come others? Yeah, because I do get these calls every so often. I get like friends who are just like, oh boy, here's, here's going to be a problem. And I have less problems with the tech than I have a problem with the people. So here's the two answers that I usually give. One, why would they destroy themselves? Okay, simple as that. I mean, maybe Altman has figured out how to find it a compound somewhere and figure out how to expand his life into 100 years but or 200 years. But no one develops a tool that is going to kill themselves when there's this much money involved. So that's one thing is that this is a hype cycle based on your fear, not their fear. So that's one. So they're pushing that onto it. With that said, fear and panic is a marketing tool. The more you're afraid, the more you're going to talk about it, the more you're going to create an advertising platform for it. Tesla doesn't advertise. There's no commercials. It's designed solely on word of mouth. 
Tesla is also uh, has now killed 17 people and 438 accidents or something like that. So it's an unbelievable amount of danger these self-driving vehicles have. But if we're going to talk about it, you're going to be curious. Your curiosity goes up. The other thing that I try to remind people that I think is a little helpful when we're talking about like how not to be afraid of this is to know that we're not there yet. So I, you and I are speaking about this in 2023. This conversation may happen again at a decade from now where there might be something where I'd be like, okay, that's pretty scary. So at this moment, there is nothing to fear because we're dealing with machines that are very primitive. And what I mean by I'm afraid of people more than I'm afraid of the generations is several weeks ago, somebody created a fake generation of a bomb at the Pentagon going off. And somehow that made it up to mainstream news. And by reporting it for about 30 minutes, the stock market went down because they were actually afraid that the Pentagon had been bombed off of an AI-generated image. So my fear isn't the generations, because you could generate anything you could imagine, except Trump being arrested, because that's banned now. Um, <laughs> but anything you want to imagine, you can create. And if a moron on the news decides to repeat your creation and fuck up the stock market and really make our lives a living hell because they got afraid of something that doesn't exist, that's going to be a problem. Is that an extinction-level problem? No. But is it a problem? Yeah. Yeah. It is a very big problem. <laughs> and, and the one thing I want to add at the end is there are people doing fun, quirky, weird things with AI, like our friend Reid Berkowitz, who's doing great work at Curiouser Institute. But just want to say that this is not pointed at the people who are doing fun, creative things that are trying to empower humans. This is directly pointed at, I don't know how to be kind about this, Jamie. I don't know how to be kind. <laughs> don't be kind. They're not going to be kind to you. No, they won't. <laughs> this is pointed directly at the people who are promulgating hype cycles and attempting to create fear in the everyday person who is unaware of how this tech works and the implications of what regulated open AI would look like. Yeah, I think that's a good I think this is a good point to look back at your question earlier about like Facebook and 2016. In 2010, when Instagram came out, or 2011, then it became a popular app. Facebook realized at that point it had plateaued in terms of like its user services. It didn't decide to make its own Instagram. It purchased it. It, it, it acquired it. And so the, the age of acquisition was about making sure that you were taking user bases, not technologies, but user bases along with you. Same with Google buying YouTube back in 2006. They didn't buy the tech. They had YouTube. Google had a thing called Google Video at the time. They bought YouTube because it had a community, it had people. And so when we're looking at this, you're right. I think regulation in this case is them being aware that acquisitions are users and there's money in that. And if they could step ahead of that and do the acquisition first <laughs> before we become useful, then we have a problem because I think right now, and the same same thing you mentioned is for VR, AR, and everything else, there are so many creative uses for these types of technologies, things that could change the way that we interact with each other, the way we interact with screens and content and, and three-dimensional immersive spaces. And there's ways of making generative AI truly something visually changeable in our life, that we could see something beautiful that we never saw before because we could have a computer imagine it for us. But that's not what they're worried about. That's I think the average user just wants to tinker. And I think the I think what they're also aware of, like VR, AR, and everything else, is that hype cycles end with usage. And it ends with, the, with people actually getting used to the product. At a certain point, you're going to use enough generative AI that you're just like, I don't what else am I going to do with this? Like, wh how else can I make this neat? And then you have to wait a decade before the good AI comes out. So 
right now they're just like, well, if we already know the hype cycle has an end, buy it. <laughs> you know, like, let's figure out how to monopolize it. Let's figure out how to make sure that there's funneling that pushes all finance and technology into one space because we already know it won't work otherwise. 100%. 100%. And I think the only thing I would like to add that you sparked in me during your social media comment is OpenAI is, as of present, not super transparent, to be kind, about sourcing and where it is finding its data, what data sets it was trained on. And thus, as mainstream social media websites begin to decay, it will be really, really unclear where anything is coming from. And we are going to enter a big moment of internet cultural abyss. It's a great point. I mean, there's this constant decay that we've had that I, I was looking the other day at a site through you, uh, which was one of my favorite YouTube projects of all time. And it was a, a Kudiman, the DJ, basically used YouTube as a, an editing tool to take a lot of different music tones and videos and basically cut them together to make music. It was I loved it. So I was like, oh, I want to go see the site. And it didn't work. It was still there, but it said flash plugin required. And I was like, oh, no. So the design, I could still access it through the web archive and see what it looked like, but I can no longer interact with it the same way. In that degradation, that data set won't take from an archive. It takes from the living web. And so if the living web is dying, because it will consistently die as hard drives turn off, people stop. If I stop paying my bills on my server, it's just going to turn off. What data sets won't exist and who can afford them? So when we're talking about money movements. You're also talking about people who like, like back to the marginalized folk. When you have a marginalized group of people who use the internet to spread awareness or talk to each other, communicate the way it was supposed to be, but you can't afford to continue the hosting, that data set dies along with the host. And that's it. Just like that, there's now a gap in a data set. So you're right. There is, I think there's a problem with, with time as well. And I think that's something that we, we're not having a conversation enough about. Maybe we could talk about that another time is conceptualization of time inside of this. But Moore's law is at its nadir. I mean, we're on a vertical now. Like technology is now in the vertices of the L curve. We're now going up the curve, which means at this point, there is no more a rising slope of things being built. Everything's there. Now it's now it's almost like degrading. So we're rising at the same time the engine's falling apart. So it, it is very interesting to think about what happens with generations, generative AI, data sets. Allegedly, most data sets are ignoring AI created material. So if you're sourcing or generating something, it's not sourcing from AI, but I don't, I don't know. You know, it's, yeah, I have no idea if it's like. Disclosure is really hard. Yeah. So I have no idea if we're like, you're just watching recursive media, like being in loops. So if you decide to invent an image, a sloth having a daiquiri on a beach in 4K, does that now become future data sets? So it's like, that's, that's something that's like, I, I'm less afraid of the Terminator and a machine stepping on a human skull than I am thinking about this on-screen moron that's super mean and racist, like just talking to me every day and putting me down. And it's like, well, where did you get all your data from? It's like, you idiot. You know, it's like, oh, leave me alone. <laughs> so that's what I'm afraid of. <laughs> I share that fear, Jamie. And I look forward to continuing the conversation because this is the first of, I think, a decade, if not more of these conversations yeah, to come. I mean, give us content, but geez. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Jamie, thanks so much, and we will be back next week. Excellent. Talk to you soon.